Beautiful Human. Thank you so much for letting us into your ears today. We are about to catch up with Porter Robinson. He has a brand new album out. It is called Nurture. It deserves your ear. We're going to talk about all of it, where he's come from, where he's going. I'm looking forward to it. Please subscribe to this podcast and share it with those you care about. And let me know who you're listening to so I know who we should invite on the show next. At Zach Sang Show on any form of social media. Okay, appreciate you hanging out with us today. Porter Robinson, here we go. Hello there, beautiful human. My name is Zach. We got Dan here and we welcome via the Zoom from Charlotte, North Carolina. Where are you right now? Chapel Hill? Right now I'm actually in in LA, but uh, oh, oh. I'm, yeah, I'm from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I know you, yeah, you are like a, a east, like a southeastern, what, what, like, what is that? Like you grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, but you made your way up a little north. What is that region <laughs> of America called? I think it's funny you did a big build up. And they forgot to say his name. I know. Oh, it's Porter Robinson. He's here. Porter with us. Sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm really interested in who you are and like, what, like, because not a lot of we we talk to like a fair amount of. I don't want to call you a DJ, but you're an artist and you make music electronically. You have since you were 12. Your story's freaking amazing, but very few, uh, you know, come from the South essentially. Right. Yeah. Well, like I feel like the the place where I was kind of born and raised didn't have too much bearing on who I eventually became. I'm definitely in that like late millennial era of being just fully raised by the internet. And, mm. you know, I remember when, when I first started having people out to North Carolina to work together in the studio, like I would want to host them well and like take them to a place that they might like to eat or whatever. And what have I would be like checking Yelp and stuff like that. I'm like, so I'm bare, I feel like I'm barely from the place that I'm from. Cause I was just literally on the computer for like a decade um, but yeah, I, I'm from Chapel Hill and Chapel Hill is kind of like, it's like the little university oasis in, in North Carolina. So like, it would be like half my friends had that North Carolina accent and, uh, you know, they say Carolina girls best in the world. So, um, UNC go Tar Heels. That's like, that's kind of how like some of the girls in my school talk, but the rest of the people I feel like had a normal, like Midwestern. Thing. But yeah, it's love to North Carolina because like it's a very beautiful place. It's really safe. Four seasons, which I love. Like we get snow sometimes. We get like super hot, sweltering summer. I love seasons. Well, I you've love, chosen like, to stay there. So mm-hmm. why? Because you can obviously be wherever you want. And music, I can make the case, is like not really happening in Chapel <laughs> Hill. Like it's not yeah, yeah. outside of you. I don't really think it's popping all that much. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my reasons for staying in North Carolina are basically like, I don't know, I, 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 I was really consumed by like fear, actually, about the idea of moving away from home. Like I, I had such a good family life growing up, Like my parents were really great people. I was really extremely close to all my brothers. And like, I remember being like 22 years old and being like petrified of the idea of moving out of the house because like, I felt like if I moved out, I would still see my family like at holidays and stuff like that. But I knew that at that moment, it would be like 99.99% of the time I ever spent in my life actually with them was over. And I was feeling a lot of grief around that. Like just being like, I'm not ready to say goodbye to my beloved dog. I'm not ready to say goodbye to my parents. And you know, it's just a really weird framing I had around the way I was thinking about it that made it so difficult. And, uh, but I, I eventually, I like moved like, a mile away. And so that was growth for me. Um, and the other thing was that, you know, 
it's that's come into clear focus in the last year being at home so much but like before then i would be on tour like 250 days out of the year and so when i came home i would just want familiarity and comfort yeah. and stuff like that so it's not so much a career thing it's just like a a comfort thing and like it's just not a bad place to live and i'm a pretty domestic dude when i'm at home so i'm just like with my girlfriend and um uh, with my family and dogs and stuff like that and yeah it's a, it's not that interesting it's just like uh where I've kind of chosen to post up the timing. But but I do feel like comfort has played into how you've created and who you've created with over the years. Like, mm -hmm. I really thought it was cool that one of the first collaborators that you ever worked with, I could pronounce his real name, Hugo, but I probably will his DJ name. Uh, how do you <laughs> say yeah, that's way yeah, w way better than what, however I was about to pronounce His it. last name is the hard part. His last name is spelled L-E-C-L-E-R-Q. I want you to try to pronounce that. No and way. Do it. Lequi? That's not bad. Okay. He he pronounces it Leclerc. Oh, Leclerc. Leclerc. Maybe Le, not Le. Maybe, I don't know. I don't speak French, but he'd be like, Hugo Leclerc. There you go. That's harder than Maddion, actually. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. He's one of your first collaborators, but it's not until years later that you work with him again. Yeah, basically, I, me and Maddion, so he's from France, Hugo. Uh, we did the song Shelter together, which I think is the biggest song either of us have done to date. But he, uh, him and I met on like a music production forum when he was like 12 years old and I was 14. <laughs> so we were both like into, you know, we were both, I think, awkward kind of smart kids on our mom's computers, like just trying to learn how to produce music. And we were almost like rivals because he was like crazy, wicked smart, crazy good for his age. Um, and I was the other like young guy. And so the two of us would like bounce things off of each other. And then it kind of happened that we went our separate ways. And then a few years later, like he, he had this video that went viral, which was called Pop Culture, where he's playing on this launch pad. And it was like the first like launch pad mashup video. And he just became this big artist. And I did too. And I was like, you know, big by the standards of dance music world. And then we kind of linked up and we were like, like, it's really crazy that we knew each other back then. And we sort of became friends again. And, and um, yeah, we, we were in touch the whole time. But it was it just felt like a really unlikely story that like, we were both so young and we were both on this really small music production forum and we were rivals and we both ended up kind of like making it and um, felt like a little victory lap there. The internet is a crazy place for so many reasons, um, but obviously it gives you access to knowledge and, and relationships and the opportunity to kind of learn and do what, whatever your heart desires and then share it with whoever you desire. Mm. Um, but my question is like, why music like were you musical before you turned to the internet to learn how to produce like did you learn an instrument growing up or like just why yeah. i didn't think so i didn't think i was particularly musical it just felt like like the first thing that really connected with me with music was playing like rhythm games so it was like for me it was like mm. dance dance revolution actually unironically super changed my life i was like 11 years old and my brother brought home a copy of dance dance revolution I was into two things. I was into like sports and music production. And like the fact that there was a little bit of an athletic component to it and the fact that it was a video game like really just rocked my and I it just like something about it like I would just be up there in that room for hours and hours and hours playing. And uh, it was my first time hearing Japanese music. It was my first time like hearing electronic music. And so where all my friends were kind of listening to like, you know, pop music or rock or hip hop, 
I felt like electronic music was this really special thing. So I started trying to like edit other people's music to make my own step charts for DDR. I was trying to make my own step patterns, right? This was a scene. <laughs> and uh, I so I downloaded like some preliminary music production software and I was like, wait, you can like change it. Like you can add loops and it just kind of went from there. It became a real obsession of mine. And yeah, so it was, it was weird. Like it, it wasn't like, you know, I feel like a lot of the people who are getting into electronic music now, they see these like DJs on the main stage and they're like, oh, I want to be that. And for me, it was never, ever that. It was never about performing live. live. It was never about DJing. I was just trying to like make music that sounded like the stuff that I liked. And then it was, when I first kind of had my little, my break, which was, uh, actually I'll back up a little bit here. So I became super obsessed in 2010 no, I'm backing up even further. This is because there are a few interesting stories here. Earlier, I'm going back to 2008. So I got really obsessed with this style of music called hands up music. And it would probably be better known here as like Eurodance. So stuff like, because every time we touch, yeah. or like, uh, or like, a, all I ever wanted, or baby, you're all that I want. All these, like, all these dance bops, we'll call them. Uh, Eurodance, that was like the style of music that I was listening to. That kind of makes sense coming from DDR to that. But the only place in the world where there was a music scene around this was in Germany. So I remember being like 15 years old and telling my dad I had gotten a record deal in Germany and I was going to get paid 500 euros to produce this, like put out a vinyl of this track that I made called Booming Track. And my dad just being like, my dad's like a, an attorney, small town attorney from the countryside here in North Carolina. And he's just like, like, hmm, I'm like, okay. Like, that's really weird that this is happening for you in Germany. But like, then the check came through and he's like, I guess this is real. And he actually ended up coming with me to Germany at one point. And we were in this nightclub. I had no idea how to DJ. I didn't know what I was doing there. Like, I just like learned a couple weeks before but my dad brought his DSLR because he was so proud of me and he wanted to, to take photos of his son. And throughout the night, just like sweaty German ravers with the gelled up hair and the acid wash jeans were coming up to my dad being like, photo, photo. And like my dad ended up basically taking group photos of all the, like the punters all night. So like, there's no photos of me on there. It's just like, this is my boy. This is my, my boy Heinrich. <laughs> like that was but actually i have to i have to i have to Damn. like show some gratitude too though because those the 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 people in germany who first like signed my music from a label called yawa recordings there's another individual named dj pico who was one of the first people in the industry that took it took interest in me like they really gave me my first opportunities and so like i joke about it it's like oh funny being in the club in germany but also like it meant a lot to me that that there were people who were believing in what i was doing because i was just like literally some kid in high school and i would go out on the weekends and i would play like two shows and i would come back on monday and the math teacher would be like so what did everyone do on their weekends and Eventually, I had to stop telling those stories because I realized it was actually getting annoying for, for people in the class. Just like I was just bragging, and um, so yeah, that was like sort of my sort of my start. I gotta hit pause real quick to tell you about something pretty fun. This Sunday is movies' biggest night. I'm telling you, movie fans, the lights are dimmed, the cameras are rolling. Action 
is about to be called Are You Ready? Come on. The movie industry's biggest night is happening this Sunday, and to celebrate this year's film awards, DraftKings is hosting a free-to-play pool with $25,000 in total prizes up for grabs. This is no joke. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to play. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do to enter the pool is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen this Sunday night and track your picks throughout the evening. Questions are going to range from who you think will be crowned best director, movie of the year, and so much more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So grab your popcorn and download the free DraftKings app now. Use promo code ZACKSANG to enter the free film awards pool with $25,000 in prizes up for grabs. That's promo code ZACKSANG to get a free shot at $25,000 in prizes only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Did they find you obviously online, right? Your work, you choose, but, but you... This is crazy that a young kid could go from North Carolina to Germany and from there the rest is like beyond history because like DDR too, like that is, who would have thought in a million years that that game would have introduced you to not like, not like a specific artist, but essentially like a musical feeling because those songs like yes it's a genre but like the bpm the speed of it like it's more of an emotional thing is it not totally totally it's you know i anchored on so many of the sounds from that time like thank you um yeah i i I anchored on so much of the 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 music from back then because like you know you can't get away i think from the first couple things that you you love and it just resonated with me so much and like yeah i don't know it was like I still listen to a lot of music from that DDR era and I'm like, damn, like these, these producers were so good at what they were doing. It's not just nostalgia, but yeah, the unlikeliness of the whole story in a weird way, I feel like is what made the whole thing work because I wasn't like thirsty for success in the music industry at all. I was just like, I just sort of was trying to do the things that I really loved. And so like, here's a good example of that. My first, true success where things really started crossing over for me was I became really obsessed with this this top 100 chart on a website called Beatport. And that was a website where it was like basically iTunes for DJs. It would be where club DJs would find their music. And I just became super obsessed with tracking this one chart where like there was this one sound that was popular at the time and it was called Dutch House. And the best, I'll try to do a little beatbox rendition of it, but it was super simple, like a lot of like bleep bloops, It'd be like, everybody jump. Like that type of club music, you know, like just driving, super simple. And I started hearing this stuff coming into the charts, like little by little. It was super complex and it was like crazy little chopped up samples and like, you know, just like. And I was like, this is really crazy and this is kind of musical. So I started charting like in my own head, like how those entries were moving. And I remember I just wanted to like have one of my songs in that chart. And then it was the first song I released under my own name, Porter Robinson was the one that like, it ended up going number one on that chart. And, and I remember like, just like my, 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 I was just such an outsider. Like I had no anticipation of, of it doing super well by any means. And so it was like, I was just weighing over my head in a lot of ways. And like, 
I started getting these calls to to DJ around the country and like I just it's it's just weird. It just was like I would just I would get really obsessed with a specific thing. And in this case was this new sound that was coming out. And I would do my best to try to make a little piece of that. And in doing so by like following these obsessions, whether it's DDR or whether it's Eurodance or that sound of Electro House at the time or uh, from the last few years, it's been like J-pop for me. By just like loving something so hard and wanting to have a little piece of it to like be immersed in it. Like that's how I go about my life, I think, is like I'll find something and I'll fall in love with it so hard and it'll feel like the meaning of life. And I feel like the only way for me to get closer to it, this feeling that I love, is to like live it somehow and embody it. And so it's like the way I express love for for like a musical idea or concept or whatever is I try to like become it in a way. And um, so it's just what I've done the whole time. And like the music I'm making now is so different from like club music. I think it's like back then I was like the electronic music guy and now I'm writing these like basically pop songs and songs where I'm singing and these ballads. Like there's like a few ballads on my album that are just piano and voice and like, I don't know how I got here. I think it was just by following like love, basically. Nurture, by the way, is the album. Uh, it's coming. Mm-hmm. It is coming. We've been waiting. Feed me, feed me. <laughs> I'm so fascinated that. Do you put yourself in a genre box, or do you allow yourself to just go where your heart goes? Yeah, I don't. I was wondering about this earlier. Like, what genre is this new music that I'm making? For, for people who aren't familiar, like the best way I can describe it is, it's like a mix between sort of indie pop, I guess, and dance music. I'm singing on everything. It's not really like drops, it's more like choruses. Um, And on much of the album, I'm singing through this effect that pitches my voice up like an octave. And it makes it sound very like feminine or childlike. Like I'm almost doing these duets with myself where I'll sing with my natural chest voice. And the call and response will be this little childlike voice or this like feminine voice. And, it's like this duet and you know when you get into the lyrics you kind of quickly realize that it feels like this duet between like my head and my heart or like yeah like between like what i want to say and what my inner voice is kind of telling me and all this stuff and in terms of genre i i i've been in like i've been talking to my manager about this like we came up with a few different names we're Com- talking about complex like, are you still with complextro i'm not i'm not that's like uh the, the complextro was the genre name that i came up with for that sound i got obsessed with like 10 years ago back in in 2010 so, t- and so like, 2008 yeah wait it's totally 2008 i actually yeah i just had a chance to 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 work with um with a guy named DJ Dubs, who is like choreographer for, for was the choreographer for Will I Am. He actually worked with Ariana as well. He was like on Ariana's tour. Uh, was it like uh, Honey Honeymoon? What was it called? Oh damn, I'm gonna get Honeymoon. dragged. Today. Honeymoon tour, yeah. yeah. Honeymoon Ave. And that guy's amazing. He like, just speaking of 2000 and late or whatever, he like worked with Fergie whenever he moves he moves exactly like the artist he's talking about so like he just like literally could be will i am stand in and then like i worked with him for two days just trying to get my you know get my swag up a little bit on stage and within like three hours he was already moving like me like i have like i have like a weird like scoliosis type thing i have like a bit of a hunchback and immediately like he was he was like he he channeled your hunchback i want you to do this and he'd be like 
like, like, I'm like, that's a really good Porter impression. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where 3000 and late. What a life. You have a swag coach, man. That's pretty. Uh... <laughs> I feel like Bieber in 2009. I, what can I say? Can I ask what you learned from your swag coach? Just like basically my, all my swag coach really taught me is how to have a lot of swag, uh, how to be really cool. Um, you know, just how to turn my swag on like soldier boy. And from there is mostly just swag lessons in the morning. Uh, we do swag lunch at lunch and then around dinner time we do swag dinner and swag dessert. And that's more or less the yeah. whole day, day in the life. That's a well-rounded swag meal. That's like, that's <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's like 18 courses of swag, full, full golf course of swag. <laughs> no, uh, it was it was mostly like um, it was just a choreography thing. I was preparing this, preparing for this like live stream event. Are you and it's talking for the about Secret time. Sky? Yeah, Secret Sky. That's so right. Great set, great cause. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's it's my uh, it was my first time like standing in front of the stage. Like this whole album is so chorus driven and so vocally driven that I'm like actually standing with a mic in front of all the instruments, like running around and going crazy and singing, even though I'm singing through this bizarre voice filter, this weird mix of auto-tune and pitch shifting that sounds like this little childlike creature. Um, you know, I'm so used to kind of being behind the decks or playing piano, and I kind of quickly realized, like, I need some help knowing, like, how to express myself in front of in front of the stage. And I kind of quickly realized that everyone does this. Like, I thought all the other artists were just, a na like, just naturals at, like, moving around but actually everyone kind of has like okay now in this part of the song you grab the mic stand and then you pull it back and then here you and it was just so fun because like i don't know for me like being a beginner at any new skill whether it's like playing piano or trying a new video game or whatever you have this point at the beginning where you get you just get slightly better at the thing that you're doing and then you realize like oh my god i could spend twenty thousand hours doing this and still get better like this this is a rabbit hole that goes so deep and I love that there's so many of those in life. Like, like I can feel I have so much work to do in terms of getting better at movement, but like, I'm just so like, I'm blissed out on it. I'm like, I'm excited that there's another thing to learn. You like challenges. I feel like I want to bring up a story here that like, it gives a really, I think a pretty unique insight into who you are. Sure. Yeah. People may not know that clarity, the song that is it fair to say like change Zed's life was really a song that, you were on too. That was your song. It was Poseidon. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So the like the head like in, in oh god, I'm just talking about singing, but in, in clarity, there's this like chorus. It's like hey. I'm I'm about to win uh, American Idol with that. But that was like me, <laughs> me and uh, me and Zed and uh, like the skinny who is the guy who's the like studio engineer. We just like had a couple beers and went into the into the booth and we were just like trying to be like a big drunken pub choir was the idea basically but yeah clarity was co-produced by me it was supposed to be a collaboration between me and yes. zed and uh i would say that song was probably like 40 60 it was mostly him um and then the vocal was the main thing that was like the that was like the main turning point because like he added that vocal and it was so clear to both of us that it was like a smash, but I really, really didn't want to be doing pop at that time. Like I was very concerned at that time. I was very worried about like being considered cool and being considered credible back then. I was like a very 
insecure. I mean, I'm still pretty insecure in some ways, but back then, especially, it was like, I can't like do any pop. So I took my name off of it. And, uh, and it was like, it was a totally, you know, people say it was mutual. It was mutual. It was like, we had an understanding. We still actually did a tour together right after that, like a back-to-back tour. Um, but yeah, I mean, just being real, I get like a paycheck, like every month for clarity. I'm like, dude, I could live off clarity. Like that, that, that song was so, so big. And, um, my favorite anecdote about clarity actually, Oh my God, I need to, I think, so one of my absolute musical heroes is Justin Vernon of Bunny Bear. Um, like that guy is one of my absolute gods. Like he's up there with me, but like, like Daft Punk, Kanye West, Bunny Bear, Chikagi Masakatsu. Those are probably, probably my four biggest musical heroes. And the opening sound of his most recent album, uh, I, I comma I is, a sample of my voice in clarity. And I didn't know some fan put it together that he, he's told the story of how this sample came together too. He was like, I think he was like in a barn or something like that. And he was like recording the sound of him going through various radio stations on his uh, OP one synth and OP. This is like a synthesizer that can tune into the radio and you can pull samples from it. And so I think they didn't even know what they had sampled there, but it just sounds like it's like, hey, hey, hey. like it sounds like that, like through a bunch of reverb and you hear Justin talking. So I think like they never knew what it was, but somebody and I, I listened to the whole album and I had no idea. And then somebody put together one of those sample deconstruction things. And I was like, <laughs> like, I still don't think he knows. And I'm but not going to tell him because I don't want to be like, it's almost like awkward to be like, Yo, we like you sampled me, and if somebody came up to me and said that, I'd be like, "All right, bro, like, congrats, have a good one." Um, <laughs> I feel like I don't believe you, uh, but that that's happened, funny. and that's like totally. It's like a, I would say it's bucket list, but it's stranger than fiction because I would never have thought to have one of my eight musical heroes accidentally samples my voice on my bucket list. But so yeah, where? I love that. Where are we at today? Like before with Clarity, it was too pop and you were obviously, I mean, nervous about how it would be perceived, right? Because at the, at the time you were really like, you were a god in the dance world. Still are. People really are obsessed. I, I, it's true. Yeah, I can tell you how, how we got here. It's, it's um, at the time I was like, God, okay, I'm, I'm, this is where I talk about bringing it back from the very beginning. But so here's how it happened. I was really obsessed with this particular sound of electronic music and I started making it and I found unexpected success there. And it was like one year after that, that like Skrillex blew up and like dance music became this big thing in the US where yeah. we were, I, I went on tour with Skrillex and we were going to all these venues where like the last 30 concerts they had were like, post-hardcore bands and and stuff like that and we were like djs coming through and it felt like this like this is pre like lmfao on the radio and stuff like that it felt very like you know it's hard to believe but at the time like we no one was using the word edm first of all that was a 20 like 11 thing and it felt like punk it felt like we were like these young kids coming through and just totally changing things up and then from the course of 2011 to like 2013 it blew up so big and it became so arena sized and it became so commercial that I just was like feeling like, 
oh, and I was feeling like I, I wasn't like being authentic. Like on top of that, you know, I was plucked out of high school and like, I kind of quickly realized that I was too nerdy and, or I felt like I was too nerdy. And so I started trying to like dress differently and, you know, cut my hair differently. And I started trying to be really cool. And I started trying to have all this confidence. And it was really a front, I think, for a lot of anxiety and fear and all this other stuff. But I was trying to be, you know, super hard and super badass. And like, I think just the dissonance of that, of me trying to play the role of this rock star DJ thing. And the fact that the sound that I thought was so cool, I just didn't think it was cool anymore and i in fact was starting to feel like it was kind of lame um how hard is like that to uh, cope with like this thing that's yeah, been was, there for you now mm-hmm. doesn't fulfill you because of i mean everybody else essentially right like yeah and i remember thinking that that like this thing really got sold down the river and so there were times where i would be playing shows and i would just be like looking at people i'd be just standing there feeling nothing djing and like looking at people and just being like, this sucks. I got to stop. Like, I got to stop doing this. Like I, I, I'm really unhappy up here. And, um, so that was when I decided I was like quitting EDM. I was, I was done with it. And I wrote this album called worlds and it worlds was this like love letter to basically like fiction. It was, it was basically based around this experience that I had where, I was playing these online games like World of Warcraft and stuff like that, where you're in this other world and you embody this character. And I would make all these friends and a lot of these games would end up getting shut down. And unlike a normal single player game like Pac-Man or whatever, where you can just go back and play it and revisit your nostalgia anytime, when these online games would get shut down, like the cities you built were lost and the friendships you made were lost and there was no way to get in touch. And this was like an album that I felt like was trying to express the beauty I found in exploring fictional universes and how meaningful like books and 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 movies and and fiction can be and it was all through this sort of indie pop lens and so I was like feeling ready I was like I don't care if everyone stops listening to my music I just have to do this thing like you know all these EDM fans, I don't, I don't need them. Like, I'm just going to do this thing, even if it costs me everything. And then the EDM audience loved it. And it ended up sort of influencing how EDM would sound for the next few years, in my opinion. Um, By adding emotion to it and meaning, right? Because before it was more of a vapid, I don't want to say that they're like, like some, some of the songs and lyrics, like if you really dig deep have meaning, but like, it was just very forward. It was very intense. It was very, I don't know. Like you, you added emotion to the scene. Maybe I'm reading wrong. No, I think, I think, I, I mean, I appreciate that. Like, I think people have been doing, I never want to take too much credit because like people have been doing emotional dance music for a really long time. And you know, this, you know, all the apologies necessary here, <clears throat> but, um, and also like I've gone back to some of that music from 2011 to 2013 and I'm like, Oh wait, like there's some real genius here. So like I, you have, you gain a new perspective on it over time. But at the time I was very like EDM and like, you know, like I just want to be known for this other thing. And uh, so that's how like worlds sort of became this career defining thing for me. And then after that, this is where, this is where, this is how we get to nurture because I kind of came home from touring worlds and, uh, I was like, it's time for me to write the the next, the next thing. And I was like, 
I felt like I had discovered my sound. I was like, you know, I've been working all this time to figure out what my sound is and I found it with worlds and it's clearly resonating. So let me like write some stuff in that style. And very, very quickly, I realized that like, I just could not make anything good at all. And this would eventually get to the point where I was convinced that I just needed to quit music and that I like, I really truly thought that like my life was over. And there's a part of me that feels the need to be like, oh, that sounds so dramatic. But the way I experienced it in first person and in real time was it felt like a very much a life or death issue for me because it was like music was the thing that I it felt like the one thing I was ever really good at. It was, it felt like it was the thing that made me special. And it felt like the thing that made people proud of me, you know, like, especially since I got into it so young, I just like, I just thought that there was nothing else that I could do. And so once this thought creeped into my head of like, what if I can't make music? Then every day I was going into the studio with the intent to dispel that. I was going into the studio thinking, today's the day I have to prove I can make music again. And for anyone who's done anything creative, you know that that is a recipe for disaster. Because like, I think real creativity comes from a place of exploration and play and relaxation where you're just messing around with something to show the person in the other room or just as a joke. And then you realize it's good. And then you somehow get it across the finish line. Like I was going in there with a white knuckle grip every morning. Like if I don't prove that I can still make music today, then my life is over. That's how I was thinking. And so that was the first mistake was trying to prove something every day I got in the studio. And the second mistake was that, that I, God, this was terrible. I basically was working like six or seven hours a day on music and nothing was coming. And so I thought I needed to work harder. So I cut out, like I stopped seeing friends. I stopped leaving the house, stopped like going to restaurants. I stopped listening to other people's albums. I stopped watching movies, playing video games. You cut yourself from any sort of creative inspiration that may have fueled any genius that was laying dormant, you know, like when you stimulate yourself. Right. That's exactly right. And that, like, I always sit, I've come to realize since then how stupid that was because like life experience, like going out and falling in love or, watching a new movie that changes your perspective on something or watching a terrible movie or whatever, all that's doing is you're like bringing in this like raw material. It's like, it's, it, it, it's like, uh, it's like you're bringing in this soil. Um, and like whether it's good or whether it's bad or whether it's something you'll use, it's basically this like fertile grounds from which a new idea can grow. It's just like stuff to sink your teeth into. And so I was running on empty. Like I had no new life experiences. I was literally a total hermit in my house, anxiously trying to prove to myself again and again that I could, that I was still good at music, like very much making it about myself and giving myself nothing new to work off of. And then I sort of got hit with the, from there I got the, the double whammy of, um, I had a, my, my younger brother got diagnosed with, with cancer. Spoiler, he's totally okay, um, but it was devastating at the time. And then a bunch of my unreleased music leaked. So I was just like, and people were like trading my unreleased music for Bitcoin and like that. And so I was just like, I was at the absolute low point where I was like, oh. I it's been like two years since I've made anything like, um, 
the only thing I had made at that point was I like with so much of Hugo's help, we were able to get shelter across the the finish line. But like it, during that time, he was he made like three albums worth of stuff, and I had nothing to show him back. And I was just like, I'm, I'm like so screwed. And uh, so nurture this album is sort of tells the story of me clawing my way out of that and learning to make music again and changing my mentality and like learning to sing and falling in love and yeah it's like a it's like a story of ultimately finding meaning in what i'm doing um beyond what it does just for me um so sorry for that insanely long answer but no. that is that's the that's the short version of, of nurture well, you can hear yourself questioning it and look at the sky. You say, shouldn't it come to you naturally? And everyone knows you're losing your gift and it's plain to see. Did you mm -hmm. feel like at some point you're like, I don't know if I'll ever get it back? Absolutely. I mean, there were so many times where I was just like, I was just like, read the writing on the wall, dude. Like, it's been like two years and this is all you're trying to do. I was I was like going into therapy every day. Not every day, like once a week, felt like every day. And talking about like, I want to make music again. I want to make music again. And like. I just remember being feeling like I was at my wits end, like I had tried everything and like it was never gonna come back. And the fun thing is what I really needed to do, I think was like loosen my grip on it and try something else and stop trying to fix the problem and just like actually go out and like fall in love and find new things to love. Cause like what had I done my whole life to that point? It was like write these love letters to these little obsessions. Like it was like, whether it's dance dance revolution or whether it's this weird sound of electro house or Eurodance, dance, like that's the real writing on the wall. It's like, you need something new to love. And, uh, and so that you can write that love letter to it. Cause that's all I know how to do. And, and so that's really ultimately what it became about. And, and that's why nurture is like where worlds, the previous album was about this love of fiction and of these other places, these faraway dreams like nurture became about this appreciation for the things that are close to us and the intimate and like the real life and like the beauty and meaning that you can find and just like, like the very mundane and the, the everyday. It's almost like, it's almost like the office in a way where it's like you take something sort of banal and, and everyday and up close. And like, if you inspect it closely enough, there's so much humanity and beauty and and value and so like yeah this is like me learning to love real life again i guess can you tell me about this lyric and musician when you say how do you do music well it's easy you just face your fears and become your heroes wow yeah i almost i almost hesitate to, this is like the one album one lyric on the album i would almost hesitate to talk about because like this was the one use of like irony on the album it's like a little it's slightly coy funny line because that that verse is sort of this like things that people might expect it's like an external voice like the full the full um the full lyric there is like how do you do music well it's easy you just face your fears you become your heroes i don't understand why you're freaking out and then it's like then they say fine We'll do what you need to, but I don't want to see you wasting your life. Isn't it time you get a job? And um, like the thing I was feeling there was like, that is how I thought people would perceive me being like, you know, making music is easy. All you have to do is just, you know, kind of nut up and <laughs> be brave. And, and then you just become exactly like the people you look up to. And 
I sort of was, it was almost like sarcastic the way I was using it. But then all these people have zeroed in on that line as being like, this is so helpful to me. Like this gives me so much hope and gives me so much like faith in myself. And so there's like, I almost, you know, this is a scoop, I guess. I've never said that I sort of intended that line to be like, it's not that easy. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of difficulties that you'll face. And um, this was such a struggle. And like, it's funny because almost every other line on the album is like supposed to instill this sense of hope that like, that creative work is really meaningful and that it's worth doing no matter what. And this is the one song where I sort of got into this negative mindset where we're like, well, this is how everyone thinks it is. And that was the one that people zone in on and be like, wow, this is a beautiful line. Like this really helps me. And so from there, I'm almost tempted to be like, well, there's truth to it because like it, it's not, it's not easy, but a, a good deal of making music is about like kind of confronting demons and doing the thing that you're scared to do and doing the thing that's hard. Like I, I set myself up to fail when I make music by trying to go to a tried and true formula. And I always tend to make something a lot better if I, if I'm going in and doing something that I'm really scared to try, cause I don't think it's going to work. That's how you end up in that unfamiliar territory. Like if I'm like, Oh, I know if I lay down a piano and turn on auto tune and start singing, that's worked for me before. So that's going to, I'm going to come up with something good. Then you're in this realm of like, putting it on yourself to come up with something. Whereas if I'm like, I'm gonna try playing the piano backwards today and I'm gonna reverse that recording and I'm gonna run it through this granulizer pedal and then I'm gonna sample that and chop it up. You're in you're on uncharted waters and then you're kind of just like, you have no expectation of making something then. You're just like, this is a total crapshoot. And if it happens, then, it happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You turn your brain off. So it's like, there is truth to that, that like, you know, if you if you if you face your fears, you you have a good chance in music of becoming like the people you admire because it's probably what they were doing. That's probably how they got to the point that they got to. Well, in musician, you also have a line where it, it's almost somebody that loves you is telling you like, "Hey, Porter, it's time to grow up. Can't, this mm -hmm. life is not for you anymore." Was there people in your life that were telling you that, or was that almost yourself telling you that this isn't for you? Well, it's it's a. Uh, it's a mix of an inner voice and a, and a real experience. There was, there was someone who like, I, I won't name because I love that person and they love me. And it's, it's not my, it's not anyone that my audience would know of, um, who kind of told me like when I was in the throes of that creative drought saying like, you know, you don't have to do this. Right. And that like terrified me. Like that was like the worst thing I could possibly hear because my actual biggest fear was needing to quit music, you know, like, <laughs> And, and so for someone to tell me like, Hey, you know, maybe you, you don't have to torture yourself. Like that was the actual worst case scenario for me was needing to quit. Cause it was all I wanted to do. And I didn't want to give up. I didn't want to fail. So, um, then I like took that really, really hard. And I took that personally and, and that became like an inner voice. And that's sort of what you hear in musician like that. That's supposed to be like an inner voice of like, Oh my God, what if everyone in my life is thinking, he should really just stop already. Like this is clearly not for him. So it's mostly an inner voice, but it's based on a tiny conversation I had with someone, but they didn't mean it that way. You know, it's just my interpretation. It's interesting that your greatest fear is needing to quit music because you, you just not good at it anymore. Like this, like leave on top while you can type attitude, you know, I get that. 
yeah it's 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 the prospect of your like of being past your prime is pretty scary isn't it you know like and it's and it's it's pretty hard because the internet gives us so much robust information about how well the things we're we're putting out or doing and stuff like that and it's you can definitely drive yourself crazy tracking all those things and like trying to maximize stuff i mean i'm su- i'm sure with your show it must be something you feel all the time is like watching metrics how how is that for you mm, terrible um <laughs> drives us crazy um, yeah it's terrible but also just like you like so much of my life is tied to this i mean you you made music and went to forums online on how to make music i did the same exact thing on how to build a radio show literally and wow. uh yeah it's um dude it's crazy it's very much a product of the internet over here very mm. very much but I, I will say though on mirrors although it is such a simple message it what i did like hearing you know the keep going keep going keep yeah. going it's all going to be okay in the end thank you i love that when i when i put that in the very end of the song i i just sat there and i cried for a little while because it was like i wanted to put in the exact message that i needed to hear um and you know mirror is a song that's about it's basically about shame it's basically about like what's the worst thing somebody could say about this and like twitter definitely infiltrated my internal dialogue for a long period of my life and it still does i i remember like there came a point where i would be sitting in the shower for like 30 minutes not with my phone but basically engaged in an imaginary argument on twitter with like somebody who was dragging me or whatever like defending myself and like like I would, I eventually realized like, wait, this is all internal. Like this person who's like dragging me is myself and the thing I'm afraid of hearing, you know? And so I just had this startling realization of like feeling like persecuted by the internet where anybody who follows me would be like, what are you talking about? Like you don't get dragged. But I was like so scared of it that it really infiltrated my like way of thinking because like, it's almost like if you're going to post a tweet or whatever, you want to sort of like dummy check it real quick to make sure that you're not going to say something that is like hurtful or going to get you in trouble. And I started running that same process on like my music. I started almost like critic checking my work and being like, what would be the nastiest thing a critic might say about my music? And after years of doing this, I was like, wait, this is so unhelpful. Like this is like all I'm doing by living in fear of criticism is like I'll, I'll just make myself smaller and smaller over time to avoid like you know criticism and i was like this is a terrible way to be an artist like living just cowering and so mirror is the song where i'm like confronting that inner voice confronting that inner critic and uh the the song sort of ends with this sentiment of this 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 voice comes in and it says sometimes the inner voice is encouraging calling for you to run those final few yards. You're nearly there. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. It will all be okay in the end. And I just felt like after a song that's so fixated on fear of criticism and a negative internal voice, it was like, what, what's something, where's that like compassion and kindness that we, you know, we're all capable of as well. Um, so I'm, I'm, I appreciate you shouting that out. Cause that's a, that's one of my favorite moments on the album too, actually. Nurture is the album. There's a link in the description below. Porter Robinson, I thank you for giving us time and energy today, sir. We, we really appreciate it. 
Do you have any final thoughts over there? Well, I just got to say, for the longest time, I thought the album was called Nature because there's so much nature involved in it from the music videos, you walking around like the woods, your face down in like some flowers on the cover. Yeah. And then I yeah. heard like a couple weeks ago, I heard you talk about it, and you said nurture. And I said, did I get this wrong? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a U, not an A. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, you're, if you're curious, I know we're bumping up against the time limit here, but that was an intentional thing because I knew that like once I realized that I wanted the album to feel up close and I wanted it to feel intimate. Like I knew that like nature was a good representation of that because it like nature is real and it's every day and it feels like feels like you can touch it. I came to realize that like the words nature and nurture are like connected in the English oh, language because oh, yeah. when we talk about like personality formation and identity formation, nature versus like, nurture. Yeah, it's nature versus nurture. And I became so attached to this word nurture because like your nature is something that you can't change your 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 nature is the things that you're born with and your nurture is a combination of the experiences that you have and the way that you're treated growing up but also the things that you do for yourself is it's the self-nurturing thing and since so much of this album is about like trying to be better and trying to grow and trying to overcome difficulties and find meaning in it i got connected to the idea of nurture because it not only evokes the idea of nature inherently it also is about the things that you can control and the things that you can change and the stuff you can do for yourself to like leave yourself and the world in a better place. And so I found that to be like a really beautiful and hope instilling kind of idea. Porter Robinson, we appreciate you very much and thank you for the time and energy today, sir. Thank you so much for the time. I'm, I'm so happy to, to be on this show and uh, yeah, it was a great conversation. Thanks for talking with me. Really uh, incredible. And, and, you have an open door policy. Hopefully next time it'll be on the couch in real life. Please. I'm dying for it. I'm dying for it. Let's make it happen. Dude, I really appreciate you. And uh, thanks for sharing your story and for sharing nurture. The link in the description uh, for the album is there below. So go and click it. Um, Porter Thank Robinson. you so much. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> bye bye. Thanks for listening. Take care. Hey, beautiful human, thank you so much for hanging out with us and listening to our conversation with Porter Robinson. His new album, Nurture, is available for your ears now. Give it your time and your energy. You won't regret it. Have an amazing day. If you can, hug your family. But please be safe. Don't go to jail and keep listening to music. It helps make the world go round. Talk to you soon.